We do want the Lord to come, don't we? We long for His coming, but there's a mission until He comes. That's why that song closed with that prayer that the Spirit would fall upon us and empower us. And it's a joy to be with you. Good evening, Victory. It's great to be with you tonight. And thanks to Pastor Jeff. He is my pastor, as is Pastor Wayne. My wife and I are usually at the Lakeside Village campus on Sunday mornings and here whenever we're able to be here on Sunday nights. My job as dean involves a lot of travel, and, and that's, that can be a lot of fun. And I get to oversee all of the Bible ministry, missions, theology programs, and our traditional programs on campus, all of our graduate programs. And uh, it, it's, Southeastern's an incredible place to be. If you haven't been by there lately, we're starting a brand new administration facility, grounds breaking on that, a new uh, uh, complex for track and field, and, and great programs, but we've never forgotten who we are, and we're about that mission. We were founded in 1935 to empower spirit-filled ministers for the gospel of Jesus, and, it, and the mission has grown beyond that, but I get to hold that, that special core part, and it's, it's an exciting privilege. And it's great to be with you here tonight. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at a, an interesting passage, and if you have your Bible and you want to take it out and turn to John chapter 2, you can do that. It's one of those passages we maybe not always know exactly how to look at, but tonight I want us to take a look at how Jesus works and how we can work with Jesus. So if you join me in prayer, let's invite His Spirit to do His work tonight. And Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we do have the hope that you are coming back. But in the meantime, you've given us a mission. Lord, I thank you for those 500 kids who are hearing your gospel here this week and the next 500 kids next week through Circle J. And Lord, I pray that there would be many, many who would respond to that message. But Lord, the people you brought here tonight, Lord, you brought us together to hear from you. And we pray that you would indeed speak through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand you better that we can be a part of what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We ever needed help? You know, before I, long before I got to Lakeland five years ago, long before I got into ministry, 18 years of church ministry and teaching up at uh, the Seattle area, I was an Air Force officer. And I grew up on a farm in Colorado, but my first active duty assignment was in a Nellis Air Force Base right outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. And I was a civil engineer, and I was so excited about moving to Nevada. I don't know if it was growing up in Colorado or if I've just always been one of those guys. I want to go someplace new, and I want to go someplace obscure, as far off the beaten path as you can go. And, and how many of you have ever been to Nevada? There's a lot of off-the-beaten-path in Nevada. There, I mean, there's a couple of cities, and there's a whole lot of desert in between. And I had a four-wheel drive Scout pickup. I mean, let me tell you, this thing, it, it, it wasn't beautiful, but it could climb. And I did lots of mountain climbing in Colorado. It could just chug, chug, chug. And so I knew taking that to the desert, there was going to be some fun roads to go. So I went, again, back in the days before we had Google Maps, I went down to the U.S. Geological Survey and bought those big topo maps of all all the area of southern Nevada, and I found a road, a dirt road, that went off of US 95 and crossed through the Sheep Mountains and the Desert Wildlife Refuge and went for about 150 miles until it came out to US 93 over on the other side. And I think there's a picture of it there, just kind of what the road's like. You're going through desert, there, there's nothing else there except just a track going through nothing. And I don't think there have been cars there in a couple of weeks. I didn't realize I moved in January. Not exactly a good time to be up in the mountains because there was snow out there on the road, and the snow wasn't until I got 40 or 50 miles in. 
And so I was going, but still I was having a great time climbing all the mountains, going up and down the hills until all of a sudden my engine died. It's one thing your engine dies, you're on the freeway. It's never a good thing when your engine dies. But it's something about when your engine dies and you know you are at least 50 miles from the nearest human being. And, and especially when you have my mechanical prowess or lack thereof. It's kind of a scary thing. So I prayed very, very hard, opened up the hood and said, Lord Jesus, what am I going to do? Please help me, please help me. And I happened to look, and, and it had to be the Lord, because I happened to notice that there was snow that gotten packed up in the wheels, because I was going down all these roads where there was so much snow, it had actually pulled the fuel line apart, and there was this little plastic coupling. And it took me 10, 15 minutes to figure it out, but I could see that was on there. I was able to get it hooked back in again, turn the engine, and well, let me tell you, the sound of a motor never sounded so good. It was like, thank you, Lord. And that got me fine until I got onto US 93. I started to head towards, back towards Las Vegas, about 80 miles away. Once again, the engine died. But by this time, it was pitch dark, and I got out, and guess what? The fuel line was plugged in. There was no snow. There was no explanation. I was scared to death. But fortunately, I was on a highway at least. But again, it's a Nevada highway. There's something about Nevada highways. It's a unique experience. Nowhere else in the world I've ever been where you see headlights in front of you and you think they'll pass you in the next 30 seconds. 30 seconds go by. Three minutes go by. 15 minutes go by. 30 minutes go by. And then finally, whoosh, there goes the lights. There's not a lot of cars out there. In fact, they call US 93 the loneliest road in America. But thank God I was out there. I had to get humble and stick my thumb out. And sure enough, uh, it took about two vehicles, but a nice couple in their pickup truck pulled over and they said, whoa, man, you got it bad. Well, hey, we're heading to Vegas. We'll take you back there. And made it back to my apartment. And another brand new second lieutenant lived in my complex with me. And he agreed to take me back there the next day to be able to go. And we got in or got in the car. And I don't know what it was. I think there was something strange was going on with the engine. But we were able to get it running again. Got it fired up. And I went back and I had that vehicle taken care of. But you know, it took help. It took help. It took that couple willing to stop for me to take me back to Las Vegas. It took my new friend being willing to take that hours, hour and a half long drive back up in the middle of nowhere just to help me get my car, uh, my pickup, to get it back where I could be in business again. And you know, there are things that happen in our lives we need help with. And the thing we may not realize is that sometimes we don't even know where it is coming from. And today is one of those passages. You know, the Gospel of John, I love it. I was a brand new baby Christian in college, just received the Lord a few months before and decided, was challenged to lead a Bible study for brand new, not even Christians yet. People were just willing to check out Jesus. And I led it through John. And ever since then, there's been something about that Gospel. Of course, there's something about every book in the Bible. But, but the Gospel of John is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They call those the synoptics because they tell similar stories about Jesus, more focused on a lot of what he did when he was up north in Galilee, whereas John focuses more on several visits Jesus made coming down to Jerusalem. But there's a few things that happen in Galilee that John talks about that the other Gospels don't. This is one of those. And so in John chapter 2, We'll start there in verse 1. It says, on the third day. It's kind of an interesting expression, isn't it? Of course, we always think in, in church, I think, well, Jesus rose on the third day. That's Easter. Yeah, this is John chapter 2. Jesus doesn't rise from the dead till John 20. On the third day of what? 
And I would think we would need to say on the third day since everything happened in chapter 1. And that was Jesus calling some of his first disciples. And I think what John wants us to know here, this is very early in their experience with Jesus. They made a decision to follow him, but they're still checking him out. They're like, well, there's something cool about him, but I don't exactly know what he is yet. Who is this Jesus? What is he like? And they're about to get a big discovery, and John is going to make a big point on that. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. The mother of Jesus. You know, all the other gospels would say, Mary, the mother of Jesus. John doesn't. Why didn't he name her? We, we don't know. But maybe it's so that we can put ourselves in her position. We can, especially if you were raised Catholic, you put Mary up on this pedestal that no other living human can ever achieve. But what if we instead look at not just Mary, but everybody else in this story to take a look, where do we find ourselves in this story of Jesus? And in fact, I want to challenge you to do that tonight. As we look at these people who take part in this story, where are you? Because notice what we see about Mary. It said that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Verse 2, Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And the first thing we're going to see about how Jesus works is he often works through the intercession of others. That word intercession means to do something on behalf of someone else. Of course, we often talk about intercessory prayer, and that's prayer when someone will pray for you. They're not getting the direct benefit of that. One of the great things about Victory is you have an incredible prayer team. At the end of the service tonight, they'll be willing to come forward and pray for you. They get no personal benefit for the prayers. But it may be that Jesus will change your life because someone else intercedes for you. And notice Mary has no dog in this race, whatever you want, metaphor you want to use. This isn't her wedding. She's not related to the people. She's just there. She's just a participant. But Mary happens to notice that there is a problem. There is an issue, and she chooses to do something about it. You know, we live in a very self-absorbed society, don't we? America's always been about me, you know, it's about me and what I can do, and it's worse now than ever. How many of you have been to a restaurant lately? Ever go look at the other tables, and everybody's got their little cell phones out? And what used to be the, the nice family night, we get together and we talk, oh, Johnny, tell me about your day. Oh, Tammy, tell me about your day. What's happening? What's going on in your life? Have conversation. How much conversation is going on at the dinner table and the meal anymore? People just playing their games on their phone or looking at this, doing all this kind of stuff. We've been focused so much on ourselves and our own situation. It can be difficult. It takes extra effort to know there's a problem, especially a problem for somebody else, especially a problem you can do something about. But Mary noticed. She recognized that there was a problem, and she also knew somebody could do something about it, and that was Jesus. You know, when you want something done, it helps to have the right person do the job. There's some people who can do some great stuff. They'd be a great car mechanic, but they may not help you whenever you need to write a new 
paper for something for your class. you got to find the person who has the ability to do what needs to be done. And of course, Mary knew Jesus. Mary knew what Jesus was capable of, so she understood the situation. She understood the problem, and she knew Jesus was able to help remedy that situation. So she took the problem to Jesus. Now, what was that problem? Of course, that's something a little challenging. A lot of us Assemblies of God people, we come to this passage and sometimes we're tempted to skip over it because we we don't drink alcohol. And I've heard people over the years say, well, no, it wasn't real alcohol. Uh, In reality, it probably wasn't the grade of alcohol that we have right now, but people were not able to preserve juice. They didn't have all the pasteurization processes we have available. So if you wanted to have juice flask, it usually happened to be fermented. That's what happened to it. But the thing here that I want to get at is why? What what difference did it make? What difference did it make if you ran out of wine at the party, at a wedding party? And I don't think we in our Western culture can fully appreciate that. My predecessor as dean is Dr. Bob Houlihan. He attends the, the North Campus here, still actively teaches for us. He's a veteran missionary. He was a church planner in Tokyo, Japan for many years before he became the regional director of world missions for the Assemblies of God in Asia-Pacific region, the largest region in AG World Missions. And he's a legend. He is incredible. He's, he's just a real man of God. He's got a great laugh, too. If you ever want to laugh, just spend some time with Bob Houlihan, and you'll, you'll be chuckling before too long. But he was responsible for getting our missionaries in into Vietnam, into Cambodia, into China, into Mongolia. There, there will be millions of people in heaven who can trace their spiritual heritage to Bob Houlihan. But he he's did a lot of research. Of course, as a pastor there in Tokyo, you may be aware, it's been really hard to reach people in Japan in particular. And, and he said he even did a research for an academic paper last year. And what he found was the root, root cause was the shame and honor culture, the shame and honor culture that's there. Now, we in America, we tend to have a guilt culture. We have a guilt and reward culture. You may say, what's the difference between guilt and reward and shame and honor? That is, in America, if I work hard, I get credit for what I do, whether it's money or recognition, I get that. If I mess up, I take responsibility for what I do. Whereas in a shame and honor culture, when you do something, you don't just personally affect yourself. You affect everyone who is associated with you, your family, your town, your region, all of your relatives, your very nation. So you carry a lot more on your shoulders. And it can have a a crazy impact on things. When I was pastoring north of Seattle, I led our church, uh, some people from our church on a mission trip to Cambodia. My daughter was 13 with us uh, and went with us at the time, and she felt a calling not to Cambodia but to Japan. And so she, when we came back, started studying Japanese language and culture, was able to take four years of Japanese language at high school and got to be fluent, got to take trips there, and, and she majored in intercultural studies with the goal of being able to go there. I was teaching at Northwest University at the time, so she was able to graduate graduate there. And, and that was her dream, but she fell in love with a guy who was, was raised in Japan, but was in, of Korean and Japanese descent. 
And, and they fell in love, and, and he had come to the Lord, and so they were getting ready to get married. But her last semester she did overseas in China. And so the plan was for, her, for them to come, uh, when she got done, back to the States. They were going to get married and then move with us. I'd already taken the position here at Southeastern, so they were going to be coming and moving with us. But she got away from him there. She had already gotten the ring, already planned on the wedding. He had already gone back to uh, the homeland there to make arrangements. And by Facebook, she sent the message that it's off. Let me tell you, that was like a shock to all of us. What do you mean it's off? You mean the marriage or the relationship? She meant everything. Well, because, again, Hide came from such a shame and honor culture. That was a huge slap in the face, not just to him, but his whole family. They had already sent out invitations. They had already made plans. And so we had gotten to know Hide pretty well, and at first maybe not excited about that relationship, but more and more accepting. He was going to be our future son-in-law. Well, he had already bought the plane ticket to, to fly her over and then bought the plane ticket to come back to the States, and then they were going to be moving with us. So he got bored that, that plane and came back, and he asked me to meet him as he got off the plane. He said, you have offended my family. I was like, me? <laughs> what did I do? My daughters wouldn't call off the wedding. He said, you know, if it wasn't right to get married, that's one thing. But no, you are her father. And whatever she has done is your responsibility. You have offended my family. And that was, that was so different. It was so out of character for us in our American culture. But there is something about honor. When you do something there to them, it affects everything and how they are seen. So what we see from this story is running out of wine isn't an inconvenience to so let them drink water. It is a, a representation of the bridegroom and his family and their reputation in the community and how all the neighbors and everyone else would be looking at them for the rest of their life and their children and their children's children. They would always be those people who ran out of wine at the wedding. Those people would have that reflection on them for a long, long time. Now, some have said in our social media world, maybe we're getting into that kind of shame and honor culture. Anybody ever been dissed, as we used to say, on social media, on Facebook? A lot of power. In fact, I always tell people, if you're going to do some hiring, do a Google search of that person you're going to hire because you'll find out a lot of stuff of what they've been doing and what's been going on there. And there's definitely some things that are taking place. But whatever the case is, what I want you to do is think of yourself, not as Mary, the mother of Jesus, but as Mary, the one who recognizes the problems of people around her, recognizes that there is a need to be met. And it may be a shame-honor situation. It may be a financial situation. It may be somebody is laid up. They're recovering from surgery, and, and they need somebody to mow their lawn. It may be somebody to prepare their meals. They need a listening ear. They need somebody to care for them. They need somebody to pray for them. They need somebody to invite them to church on Sunday so they can meet Jesus. 
Instead of just walking into the grocery store or buying your coffee and looking at that person there who's helping you as a means to an end, why not see them as a human being with real cares and concerns and opportunities that Jesus may want you to be a part of helping to meet? Can we do that? Can we recognize? Can we see the situation? Because Jesus wants to work, but he will often work through us as we are open to seeing what needs to be done and how that can be done. That's interesting how Jesus responds. And we'll take a look at this in a minute. In verse 4, he says to her, woman, what does this have to do with you and me? My hour has not yet come. But look at verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Jesus hasn't even said he's going to do anything, but Mary knows. She's got faith that Jesus is going to work, and when Jesus chooses to work, miracles are going to happen. So Mary has recognized the situation. Mary has chosen to get involved. Mary has chosen to bring the need to Jesus, and she's acting in faith it's going to happen, and things are going to take place. You know, sometimes your faith is what people need. People need you to pray. Sometimes it's your action. And that's why she said to the servants in Greek, That which he tells you, do. It's a command. Do it. Sometimes the miracles happen on their own, but so often it takes us. We have to do our part working with Jesus to see those miracles take place. And sometimes they happen miraculously, immediately, instantaneously, but sometimes they happen in Jesus' time. Look back at verse 4. Jesus said, what has this to do with you and me, woman? That's an interesting phrase. That's so weird to us. It doesn't, almost sounds disrespectful. This is Jesus we're talking about, talking to his mother. And, And I think what Jesus is saying is that this isn't our need It's not your need. It's not my need. And he follows up by saying, my hour has not yet come. And what I believe that he means by that is the hour, the time, and Jesus uses that phrase often in one sense talking about the cross. But here I believe it means his ministry is going to go public. John tells us this is the first miracle that he's done. Once he does this, there's no turning back. Once he goes this, Jesus goes viral. Everybody starts tweeting about Jesus. Everybody's going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear about this miracle, and he will no longer be able to hide. The clock will begin ticking. Now, here's some things about this. Jesus works in his own time, and sometimes he will work immediately. Sometimes he takes a while. We don't like that, do we, in America? We want what we want, and we want it now. My wife and I went to see a movie the other night, and I, and I didn't have time to eat before we got there, and I ordered food, thinking, okay, I'll just order it during the movie, and it took eight minutes for them to prepare my food. Eight minutes. I had to wait eight minutes to eat. You know, it's like, whoa, what's going on right here? But have you guys heard of this slow food movement? It's a reaction against all of this fast food movement. It started in Italy in the late 1980s, a reaction against the McDonald's. Because think about it. When you think of the best meal you've ever eaten... Did it come from a microwave? 
Was it fed to you through a window into your car? Isn't there something about food that takes a while to prepare because it's made with fresh ingredients and made personally for you? Even though sometimes we want that immediate reaction, Jesus, I want my miracle, I want it now, Lord, now, now, now. And sometimes he does. I've seen, and sometimes it has to be now. And I've seen inexplainable miracles when Jesus works right away. But sometimes the biggest miracle Jesus wants to work is not to give you what you want, but to make you who you need to be. And that's going to take some time. And he's going to do that work to see that happen, to see it take place in you, to see it happen there. But the interesting thing is here, although Jesus said he wouldn't have to do it, this is not his miracle. He does it anyway. Why? I believe in response to his mother's faith. Do what he tells you to do. And Jesus reacts. And Jesus takes action. The next thing I see is that Jesus will often work in ways we do not recognize. Look at verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. And if you ever get to travel to Israel and you go to any of the first century synagogues, you will see these there. It was a big deal. Anytime they worshiped, they always wanted to wash themselves off before they went and appeared before the Lord. So they each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves a good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. And by the way, I don't want to mess up your bubble that, that that's how we know this, there was alcohol in this wine. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Notice. The steward and the bridegroom both knew something had happened. They both had recognized that something unexplainable had taken place, but they didn't know the cause. Anybody ever had a time when God worked on your behalf and you couldn't figure it out? You ever go to a restaurant sometimes and you do have one of those pay it forward things? Somebody says, oh, that meal's been taken care of for you. I was teaching a district school of ministry class down in Clewiston and going out to eat with those students who were studying to get their ministerial credentials. And I don't know if somebody heard us at another table talking about the Lord and just chose to pay our bill for us. What a gift. But you know, some of you here tonight, you've done that. You've been a part of that. You put a gift in the offering so that some kids can go to Circle J this week. First time I got to serve at Circle J was four years ago. I was helping as an assistant in the fifth grade class. My wife and I will be teaching one next week. But I remember we had an assistant, and she was a junior here at Victory Christian Academy. And, and I got to know her and hear her story. And she first heard of Victory in third grade when Teresa and her team came and knocked on the door inviting kids to come to Circle J. And she came. She had, doesn't even know who her dad is. Mom's working hard trying to meet, make things work for her family. Older brother got involved in a gang. I mean, a horrible situation. But she came out to Circle J, had the time of her life, received Jesus to be her Lord and Savior, came back the next year, came back the next year. 
and somehow got word that Victory Christian Academy had a few scholarships they'd be willing to give to children who had done very well in their elementary school years. And she, had, she was a brilliant student, so she got a full ride to go to Victory Christian Academy. And we were talking, and she had a smile on her face. She said, I have a 4.0 GPA, and I'm going to get a scholarship to go to college. And I just think of her story. You know, not just her, but her family tree is going to be changed because someone put money in an offering plate to send a child to Circle J. How much are her children and her children's children and the rest of her family's story going to be different because someone cared and was willing to do a gift that she never knew and never even knew who to thank, who to take care of? How many times can we be somebody who does something even if we don't get the recognition for it? And Jesus is at work, often in ways we cannot see, sometimes through his people, sometimes supernaturally, but one way or another we can look. And if we're looking and if we're watching, we're going to notice that something is happening. There is something to this Jesus. And that's the case for the disciples. And that's the next group we're going to take a look at. John goes on to write in verse 11, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now notice, this whole story, what have they been doing? Nothing. They're just standing there. They're just watching it. Three days they've been with Jesus. They go to a wedding. All right, free food. Yay. Okay, let's go to a wedding. Good to be there. Watch all this stuff happen. They see everything that's happening, everything that's going on. And they just saw an unexplainable miracle. And then what did that do? That boosted their faith. And they're going to need their faith boosted. But it would happen again and again and again as they saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle, healing. They heard his teaching. They come to understand, as Peter would later declare, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so when we watch, if we notice, if we pay attention, we'll see Jesus at work everywhere. Like my mentor Leonard Sweet said, if you pay attention, you'll see every bush is burning. God's at work all around us if we're willing to take a look at that. Now that means when we put all of this together, we really need to be observant. Because as we wrap up, I want to ask you, which of these four people are you? And really, you could be all four. Sometime or another, we should be. The first one is like Mary. Are you an intercessor? Are you one who pays attention? You're not just absorbed in yourself in your own situation, but you pay attention and you look and you see needs of people around you. And you're willing to bring those needs to Jesus or to other people who can help them. When I was pastor, and I pastored an incredible church north of Seattle, wonderful people who loved Jesus. But there was a lady in my church, her name was Lorraine, and she and her husband, Don, had pastored for many years. They were in their retirement years. But let me tell you, Lorraine was an intercessor. And if I was ever sick, she's the one I wanted praying for me. Of course, I had the privilege of seeing other people healed, but Lorraine, she was one who knew how to touch the throne. And we did a Saturday night prayer, prayer service every week, and we would come there. We'd see so many miracles happen, so many things take place. And there was just something about it. 
But you know, it wasn't just because she knew Jesus. It's because she loved people and she wanted to take people to Jesus. She was always looking for where's the need? What can I do? What's the situation? How can I pray for you? And you know, I, I, I love my job. I cannot believe I get to do what I get to do. I get to be the dean of ministry and theology at the fastest growing Pentecostal university in America. I get to know megachurch pastors all over the country, raise up people to fulfill their calling. That's incredible. The day will come, though, when I won't be able to do that anymore. But until the day I die, I don't ever have to stop interceding for people. I don't ever have to stop taking people's knees to Jesus. I know so many of you are like that. Some of you, you on missions convention, you take our big missions book and you take those home and you pray for our missionaries every single day. You lift them up. And God responds to your prayers. You hear about what's going on. You pray for those in the neighborhood. You sign up here to pray at the altars. Don't stop. And if you've not started doing that yet, why not start now? You never know when your prayer is going to be somebody else's miracle. You never know when you taking somebody else's need is going to be a part of Jesus making a difference for them. Be an intercessor. The next one you might be is the servant. You know, we don't really look at them in the story, but you think about it, they were part of this miracle. They were the ones to whom Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus told them, go fill up those jugs with water and then draw some water out and take it then. They knew what happened. They understood what was the cause of what was going on. But think about it, that miracle would not have happened had they not done their Heart. And one of the great things about our church is how many people serve here. So many volunteers serving at Circle J this week and next week. So many volunteers going and serving at Dream Center. I had the privilege of going out with them last Saturday, being a part of those and uh, seeing people who come out not even just once a month. They're out there every week going out, making a difference in people's lives in the neighborhood. Zoe's Journey, so many ministries that Victory has been a part of launching. People are serving our kids right now, our youth ministries, going out and making a difference. Yes, Jesus is doing the work. Yes, it's the power of the Holy Spirit but he chooses to use us as we serve. Now, your serving may be here through the church. It may be in other ways. It may be in those intangible ways. But one way or another, we can all serve. We can all be a part of Jesus working and seeing those miracles happen. The third type of person we might be is the beneficiary. Think about that bridegroom and his family. Their story was changed too. Remember what I was saying? <laughs> they went from being at the risk of extreme shame to now all of a sudden, man, they're the, the talk of the town. Wow, how did those guys get that good stuff? What was going on there? Sometimes we need help. Like I did that day on the side of the road in Nevada. And it's been a lot more time since then. And it's okay to admit that we need help. It's okay to ask Jesus on our own. It's okay to ask friends. It's okay to give calls because sometimes we need to receive the help of others. But then number four, we can be observers. We can be those disciples who watch Jesus work, who recognize there's something more to this Jesus. It's not by accident what happened. 
And we can make the choice to, like they did, to believe. For that to happen, we've got to choose to be with Him. Now, you're here on Wednesday night. I imagine that's because you want to be with Him. Probably meet with Him every day. If not, I encourage you to do that. Pray. Make your relationship with Him that foundation. That was the key to seeing Him work. But then watch. Look for the ways He is at working around you and give Him glory. Make the decision to follow Him. Believe. And step out. As we wrap up tonight, I want us in response to just again reflect on which of those four might be you. And it may be that you are in a situation tonight that you need help. And we happen to have an incredible team of intercessors here and our altar workers. I'm going to invite them to come forward as we, we, we take our last few minutes to really pray for one another. If that's the case for you, I invite you to come forward as the altar team comes, whatever that may be. But as they are on their way as well, I want you to reflect on how well do you notice? Are you in tune with the needs of others around you? Is there a way you can give life, can share the hope of Jesus, can help meet a need? whether as the intercessor who prays for others or as the servant who takes the action that's going to enable Jesus to work in their lives. It might be either way for you. But no matter what the case is, would we all be alert to pay attention or recognize that every bush is burning, that Jesus is at work all around us? We have the privilege of being a part of that. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this incredible story that you did choose to get involved, not because you needed to, but because someone was in need. And you began your work, and you've been at work, and you continue to work. And you choose to use us in partnership with you. Or there are those who are in need, and need to be the recipients, or we are those who are the intercessors who bring the needs to you. We are those who serve to help make a difference. Father, I, I just pray that tonight we would choose to get involved. We would choose to open our eyes. Lord, I thank you for the countless tens of thousands of lives that have been impacted by the ministry of victory. And I pray, Lord, those numbers would just increase this week and next week at Circle J and the mission trips that will be taking place this summer and all the outreaches we sponsor, all the missionaries we're a part of. But Father, for your children who are here in this room, who are facing challenges, some, some in need of a physical touch of healing, some who have loved ones who are away from you, someone facing challenges in, the, in their marriages, some of them deep, facing major decisions in career. Whatever the case may be, Father, as we choose right now in these next few minutes to do that intercession, we pray that you would come, that you would do your work, do the work that only you can as you empower us to do the work that only we can. We love you, Lord.
have your way. If you have a need, I invite you to come forward. If not, would you just continue in a, in a spirit of worship here for these next few minutes as we, as we wrap up?
Lord, we love you. You are welcome in our lives and we need you. And Lord, I pray that indeed as we go out from this place, our eyes would be open to knees we can partner with you to meet through intercession, through serving, that our faith would grow, that lives would be changed and transformed for your glory. Continue your work, Lord. We love you. Pray your blessing upon your people. Would they go knowing and resting in you and who you've created them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.